Hello and welcome to the 107th FIS Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday the 5th of October. I'm Mopani, you can call me Mo. And I'm Chris Hudson. And welcome to what is Chris's second last episode uh, before he moves on to greater things. Man Overboard. Uh, as you know, <laughs> FIS are known to be pioneers and innovators in the freight and commodity market. It's fair to say Chris was a pioneer and innovator when it comes to our podcast. So do stay tuned for our special episode in two weeks to bid him farewell. On this week's podcast, it is a freight fest with a sprinkling of oil as well. As we shine a light on the geopolitical events that could shape markets going into 2023 and look at market movements on our major freight and commodities. We get an eastern and western perspective on the dry freight market as well as a look into the oil markets with the OPEC Plus meeting in Austria today. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. First, let's take a look at the indexes. What movements have we seen in the past two weeks since the last podcast? That being Tuesday, the 20th of September versus yesterday, Tuesday, the 4th of October. Well, in terms of the freight markets, the Cape 5TC, the Panamax 4TC and the Supermax 10TC up across the board. Uh, this is a two weeks movement where well, we were at 16,540 two weeks ago on the Cape 5TC. That's moved to 18,611, up 12 and a half percent. On the Panaxes, there's uh, less of a move up, but up 4.6%, now closing $17,651 a day. And on the Supras, $18,351, up $969, or 5.6%. So some nice movements up there, having hit some drop, drop down to those low levels at the start of September of last month. On the iron ore, we've seen a slight movement down, a dollar fifteen or one point two percent. It was ninety six sixty five on Tuesday the twentieth. Now ninety five fifty yesterday's close. Uh, no surprise there, as things coming to the Chinese holiday, the Golden Week, with people taking a little bit of a breather as we came into that week long holiday. On the oil, well, ninety twenty five it was closing twentieth of September, closing at the time of the uh, FIS oil report. Uh, that was yesterday, 91.98. And again, if you look this morning, people really reacting to the OPEC plus news uh, of a potential cut of a million barrels. So that's up higher than uh, the index, obviously, yesterday. But you can see that up 173, 1.9%. Uh, and it's no surprise that the percent uh, on the fuel oil has followed that movement, although to a lesser extent, only up 0.1%, 85 Sent closing yesterday's at their front month future on the FS report $642.80. On the tankers, after those amazing moves up over the last few weeks, it seems that we have taken a check, a rain check on things. Uh, if you're looking at T3C, that's closing yesterday, world scale 7741, down 22.5%, had been 99.91 on the 20th. TC2, TC5, both off as well, but. Uh, we have seen uh, down to 250 world scale closing yesterday on the TC2. That's down 50 points or 16.9%. And TC5, that is down 146.43 or down 45.9%. So big movements, big swings there on the Arab Gulf to Japan route on the products. On the steel, that's continuing to... Uh, we had seen those movements off after those rates where we saw highs of 1200 1300 bucks a ton, uh, and now at $945.75 closing yesterday for the Northwest European steel market. That is up $3.75 on two weeks ago. A 0.5% had been $742. 
And finally, on the emissions markets, this is the compulsory European, the EUAs. It had been €71.14, uh, but closed yesterday at €66.92, down €4.22, or 5.9%. Next, a look at major events around the world that may affect your markets. Uh, starting off with OPEC plus oil production cuts. Uh, of course, despite the devastation caused by Hurricane Ian, the markets have not been impacted as much as we expected this year. However, the markets do expect to be impacted after the meeting uh, today in Vienna because uh, this could we could potentially see an increase in prices. So. OPEC Plus are considering cutting oil. We were thinking it was around 1 million barrels per day, but today's sources are reporting up to 2 million barrels per day, the most significant cut since the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic. We also know fuel oil tends to follow crude oil prices. Um, what I found interesting was over the last six months, uh, Singapore's uh, 0.5 had increased its premium over Rotterdam and Houston by almost $200 per metric ton at specific time interviews. Uh, we saw large premiums ranging from mid-May to the end of July. Uh, you might say this was most likely due to changes in China. We also know that Sing 0.5 is generally more expensive than its counterparts. Uh, but since August, the premium changed to a discount to Houston's 0.5, and all three regions have been competitive until September. Now, I would say China's situation is worth keeping an eye on, as in the last week we've seen, seen 0.5 increase to a premium again at a faster rate than the other uh, fuel oil prices are climbing. Uh, so question to you, uh, Chris, what do you think could be affecting this difference right now? Because seeing 0.5 is climbing uh, faster than its counterparts. Any thoughts? I think it's not a surprise, I don't think, in terms of there seems to be that optimism now that China has seen the worst of the COVID pandemic and that it can return to some sort of normality. We, we obviously have a quiet week this week because of the holiday, but people are looking forward going, actually, this is going to be a potential stage now where they really start to ramp up production, restart to really start to try and get those GDP figures back up to those uh, incredible 6%, even higher, which we've seen in the last couple of decades uh, from there. So uh, I think people are just starting to hedge themselves and go, actually, this could be a return to a bit more of normal world economic movements and placings than, than we've seen in the last year. I see. You've also answered my second question. So I'll move on to my third question. Uh, so what would you say your take on this with freight and other commodities after seeing the index prices and data? But I imagine that you'll see, a, again, keep an eye on that iron ore 62%. If you're going to see, a, if people genuinely think that this is going to be something which will have a, a great positive economic impact, impact for China, you'll see that reflected in the iron ore index. So that will start to move towards that $100 level again and then move higher. People use the iron ore market as a proxy trade for the Chinese economy. So higher price, they have more confidence that it's going to be growing significantly. Moving lower, obviously, the converse. So that the iron ore 60% is a very good indicator there of whether people's views of what's happening, the stimulus package that you've seen in China, uh, them trying to get out of the pandemic and any other problems that might cause them not to be able to do the things that they want to do. You've got peak construction season. Uh, you're just about to start that now. You've got all the problems with the housing market, which just seems sort of, sort of 
impending US housing market 2008 but slow burn kind of version of. So there's lots of question marks and concern about that as well, uh, as is around the world with interest rates hikes and the, the kind of change of policy having had such low interest rates for such a long time. So yeah, look at those 62%, look at oil, they're going to be very sensitive about what's happening as China's the largest consumer of both iron ore and oil. And um, I mean, one thing to mention on the other side, the West, uh, midterm elections are coming in the U.S. Um, the White House won't be happy with OPEC Plus's decision today. Do you think they'll react? What can they do? <laughs> I mean, Mr. Biden can obviously uh, put forward a statement of his disappointment that they're they're cutting at a time where prices are high. And, you know, you get a, a, the classic American political view that people pay. Uh, people will voting on how much they're paying at the pump. Too high, we're not voting for the incumbent, so the Democrats can have a bad, bad evening. Too low, you know, much lower. Things are cheap. It's nice and good. Well, yeah, the the government's done well, even though it might be something completely beyond their control, which is exactly the situation here. Mm. What, what, yeah, what influence does America necessarily have over OPEC Plus? Is ability to produce oil and what it chooses to do some because of its ties with a lot of the members, but ultimately it's an OPEC Plus decision, mm -hmm. and it's in their interest to have high prices. So it's no surprise that they're trying to push up things, all these news of being 2 million rather than 1 million, um, but they've not been producing their quotas for a long time now. So it, it's no surprise they're doing that. So actually what they're producing, saying they're producing compared to what they're physically producing might actually be correct for once rather than these others. So a lot of these other questions, and of course you have the ongoing situation with Russian supply and everything else, but it looks like it's going to culminate in a, pretty difficult situation for the for the democrats coming into the to that midterm election like any incumbent government for the midterms they always lose seats but can they hold on to the house they're going to lose the senate most probably because it's already a 50 50 split the likelihood that they lose a seat is high um with the house they can still potentially hold on to that but it's not looking good especially if oil prices start rising significantly again and uh, the pump goes up on polling day <laughs> thank you for sharing uh moving over to russian supplies you mentioned uh, we know winter is approaching and things are heating up in Russian and European relationships. And things to note, uh, we know Europe is investigating major leaks that happen in the Nord Stream gas, line, uh, gas pipelines. Uh, sorry, um, We also know EU ambassadors are supposedly nearing a final deal to cap the price of Russian crude oil and products. Uh, of course, this is on top of the EU ban taking effect on December the 5th. And the purpose of the price cap is to keep oil flowing, but at a reduced price. Hashtag the irony. Uh, so we know Europe is looking elsewhere for oil supply, and we know Russia is looking elsewhere for uh, consumers, uh, but it may have shipping constraints. Uh, the rerouting of trading regions could put a strain on the shipping sector. Uh, the voyage of Russian oil exports to Asia would be longer, increasing shipping activity and fuel costs for shipping companies. Um, my thoughts, this may also mean uh, thinking what are the required vessels? Are they enough? Uh, do they have the right infrastructure? Uh, are there enough shipping companies, insurers and financial service providers uh, that would be affected by these sanctions or not affected? Uh, so these constraints could essentially limit how much oil is supplied to the global market and maybe push prices back up. But I do feel that if if Russia do overcome these constraints, 
Um, India and China will continue to be the leading destinations of Russian oil. Uh, they now account for over half of Russia's seaborne oil exports. Uh, but what was interesting, of course, our Western nations were criticizing both countries. Um, India's foreign minister said that they had little choice when the price of oil is breaking their back. Uh, it's funny, we retail consumers probably feel the same, you know. Uh, I'm sure we can all emphasize with this because uh, a lot of us would jump at the opportunity to get cheaper gas and electric suppliers. So I guess my question to you again into your uh, depth of knowledge, Chris, how has this activity shown a difference in any shipping routes that we cover? I think it's very, very difficult to say with this kind of stuff because many of the people who will be necessarily taking Russian oil, you, it, it, you can't track it. Mm. And it, it, lot, you've seen news stories you've, Actually, Russia's taking a larger portion of the routes and the, the backdoor entries which Iran use, was previously using to get rid of its oil, even though there's a large number of sanctions on that. So it's an impossible question to answer, uh, unfortunately, but um, they'll be doing it. And I think that some of the constraints with the prices going up, I think that it's a, it's a gross point, the fact that they've, they've done what they've done and are now profiteering from it. Hmm. Well, thank you for being honest. Um, uh, just one more thing from the geopolitical side. Uh, of course, we always think about the demand outlook for China as it experiences slow economic growth. I know you mentioned a bit on that. Uh, we have a golden week uh, this week. Bloomberg reported China's most significant fuel export quarter this year. Uh, the quarters widely expected by the market for the last two weeks include uh, 13.25 million tons of refined products, normally gasoline, diesel and aviation fuel, and 1.75 million tons of low sulfur marine fuel. As the sources said, uh, I guess this attempts to revive the economy after being hit by lockdown. But as mentioned before, uh, this may be a concern for an already tight market. But we also expect a flood of fuel in Asia because of Russia. Next, we go to Kerry Deal. After returning from Barcelona from the Fast Markets Battery Metal Conference and a quick trip to the United States of America, he is so, Kerry, we've seen a revival in freight index numbers after the lows at the start of September, but what's behind the numbers? What are we seeing? Well, indeed, the Cape market's been a bit of a roller coaster as of late, at least in percentage terms. Last week, we saw a pretty consistent drop in rates. Uh, after negative sentiment took over a weak Pacific market caused by slowing restocking activities ahead of the week-long Chinese holiday, uh, with only one major in the market seeking vessels for C5. This allowed the index to fall, and on paper we saw a rather steep drop with the front month contract shedding around 25% of its value, dropping from 20675 down to a low of 15375 From late last week, however, we saw some green shoots of hope once again in the Atlantic, and especially South and West Africa, with their weekly shipments reaching two-month highs at 1.5 million tons. That's up 19% week-on-week, and 685,000 tons up 57% week-on-week, respectively. Uh, that's data from IHS Market Commodities at Sea Service, by the way. With some of the Brazilian miners returning to the market for cargo, the C3 jumped up earlier this week, and we've seen the paper respond accordingly. With that front month, five Cape 5TC contract trading at 18250 this morning, according to FIS Live. 
Perhaps the bigger story, though, was the Q4, which made an even slightly larger jump to trade up to 19000 this morning before a few offers came in. The general revival, Chris, has been caused overall by increasing volumes out of both Australia and Brazil on the Capes, and I think a feeling that, uh, you know, that the market had been a little bit oversold, perhaps. Uh, we're also seeing, by the way, some weather-related delays in the Pacific. That's tying up some tonnage. That's going to help the market, too. On the Panamaxes, on the physical market, we saw some improvement late last week in the Atlantic. Thanks to the arrival of the U.S. grain season, we saw shipments ex-U.S. Gulf sharply increase, along with business in the South remaining quite firm. That resulted in weekly Panamax volumes surging up 103% to 1 million tons from a previous 507,000 kt, uh, 507 kt rather. For minerals, total shipments by Panamaxes also saw a decent increase of over 20% to nearly 5.1 million tons. However, coal demand has been almost flat week on week due to the major Chinese holiday that started this week. And sentimentally, the Panamax paper got dragged down by the negativity on the big ships. We saw that the October Panamax 4TC dropped from 18,500 to 16,500 before making a recovery this week as people became more optimistic on grain exports. Q4 also jumped sharply this week, I should add, and is currently trading 18500 on FIS Live. One thing I want to note from the paper perspective is that the curve has changed shape rather dramatically over the last month, um, going from a fairly steep contango, especially on the capes as they were falling and falling over the past couple of months, into a situation of backwardation. And I think we should watch that carefully. So on the one hand, you could say, okay, that's a negative. It means that sentiment for next year has fallen finally and people do not have high hopes for a massive recovery. On the other hand, if there are buying opportunities here, if there are opportunities for anyone who has a bull market view, that now offers them finally the chance to uh, to uh, perhaps execute those, to buy into those. So it's worth watching that, um, you know, whether that backwardation lasts. And I think it's worth taking note of that. FIS may be well known for being a leading derivatives broker, but we also have a small team of top-notch shipbrokers in Singapore who are working hard to cause a headache for our big competitors. We talked to Kim Klarman, head of our shipbroking team and director of our Singapore office, about his thoughts on the physical freight market. So, Kim, in terms of the shipping perspective from Singapore, you're obviously involved in the physical shipbroking and talked to a lot of the guys in the physical industry. What kind of points have you been seeing of late you've seen china come out of its uh, lockdown we've seen a lot of the other rest of the world come out of its lockdown we've seen weird trading patterns through all of those problematic pandemic years what is the word on the street of singapore at the moment in terms of physical ships um i think it's it's basically similar uh, what what everyone in europe is talking about i mean uh, one of the biggest drivers uh, in shipping uh, is and has always been china um a lot of people out here are waiting for the uh, historic meeting on the 16th of October where the Communist Party will get together and all the top leaders. Um, people are expecting maybe some lightning on the zero COVID policy, which obviously uh, would affect some, to some extent the, uh, the, sh the shipping industry, you know, the congestions and harbors, the, the, the ART testing for personnel uh, in, in the different uh, harbors in China is obviously taking taking time. And then um, eventually as well, uh, what's going on on, uh, on the property market in China? Will, will, it, uh, 
will it recover? Will uh, will there be some uh, support from the Chinese government? Um, right now, actually, we see import rates of iron ore are not heavy. Uh, we're waiting. I mean, if China goes all in again and goes growth, uh, things go fast and uh, the the shipping market will follow. Um, so that is one of the big the big things actually we are uh, eyeing and waiting for. Um, another thing, as you mentioned, COVID uh, has not stopped, but obviously has eased, uh, especially here in, in Asia. It took a little longer time than in Europe uh, for governments. Um, uh, now I say Asia, China obviously still has the zero COVID policy. Um, Singapore has had the big F1 event uh, this weekend, which was a major success uh, as far as I understand um, a lot of Shipping companies and brokers had events around town. Um, we had, I think, well, the 300,000 people uh, attended. Uh, I think that's around the official numbers. And in general, um, the the mood uh, has changed significantly uh, this year compared to last year, um, where travel was still restricted and you know the mask mandate was still full on. We still have it though uh, on public transport, but that's basically it. So it's. All, all back to normal, kind of. And one of the big success stories in terms of that has really driven rates up, and at least in some of the, the vessel sizes kept it uh, from falling, has been coal exports. Indian coal, um, Indonesian coal exports have really helped lift rates, and now we're seeing that come into Europe to deal with the, the energy crisis here as Russian supplies of gas are cut off to the continent. And do you get a sense of whether that's, uh, something that's going to be here for the rest of the year, something that's going to move into next year, or, or is this just a kind of flash-in-the-pan moment which has come at a convenient time? Um, you know, I think if you look at the freight rates in general and at, at the indices, um, you, you, you can see it's uh, it's coming at a convenient time. Obviously, we had a, had a massive kind of sell-off uh, on, on, on the freight, um, basically uh, supply demand uh, evened out um, eventually uh, demand was less than the supply and uh, you saw the indices fall by I think most 50% um, through from handy to to cape size uh, the coal exports uh, are quite interesting to see because now you I mean usually you have Indo coal going um, mainly uh, to China you have uh, the same from India sourcing um, Australia as well a little bit but now seeing backhaul coal cargos um, going back to the continent and the Baltic are yeah very unusual um, uh, and uh, I think it will help however it, it will maybe stabilize the freight rates which we have seen right now um, it won't give the the push uh, which maybe the market needs um, to 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 find uh, find some new strengths and another factor which is going to affect at least eu bound shipping next year is its introduction into the european ets uh, that's the obviously emissions trading scheme and the impact that that has in terms of an extra cost in effect to a lot of people you starting to see the industry take this a little bit more um, seriously, are you seeing things which people are asking lots of questions, uh, a move to be able to deal with this? Because it does seem like this is something that they're going to have to do. And there's a lot of questions, a lot of education needs to happen before uh, something is actually done for the whole industry. 
Yeah, you're right. I I, I think um, there's a lot of education to be done. Um, the the big players uh, are the front runners um, in every industry, not only the shipping industry, uh, also in, in in the in the oil industry and in the transport transport industry in general. Um, what we hear out here speaking to uh, owners and operators is still uh, a waiting position. Obviously, everyone is aware uh, that the ETS will go into force uh, in Europe. However, in Asia, uh, nothing like that will happen uh, in the next uh, couple of years. Eventually, it depends obviously on the legislation. Um, but uh, if, if nothing is enforced or uh, made mandatory. Um, I think people will wait. Uh, we obviously uh, had discussions about carbon credits, which uh, FIS and uh, our, my colleague Theo out here um, is working on, and uh, we're promoting it uh, to the shipping industry. However, uh, the, the traction um, has not yet been uh, where we where we want it, and um, we have seen some couple of first movers. Uh, we did some uh, education, um, some introduction to the, the products itself uh, for some shipping uh, companies uh, here in Singapore, um, but uh, we're still waiting for the first trade. All right. I, uh, now, uh, just for me, uh, Kim, I know that's a bit forward and yeah. future thinking. Now, back to the current market a lot of talk about mm. the recession if it help what what do you think or is it generally expected to happen during or after a recession when it comes to uh, freight rates and shipping um it it, it it really really depends on um on on the consumers right so usually in a recession you expect that uh, con consumers will uh, consume less, uh, they will save more money, um, which should affect uh, sh should affect the freight rates in terms of um, goods transported around the globe. Um, ho however, we also had a, or still have a pandemic ongoing uh, around the world, which uh, uh, still has a backlog. Um, so it's probably not really anything you can find in the history books um in, in terms of typical recessions because this what we're experiencing is a um a pandemic a global pandemic and then after after that we we are running into a global energy crisis and now uh, eventually um i mean if if you look at the macro uh, numbers uh, we are uh, in fact in a recession and um how that will affect the, the shipping markets um, is, is fairly, fairly hard to say. Uh, in terms of dry bulk, I, I personally think that um, we will still be uh, okay. There won't be um, this massive crash. I mean, arguably, we had a crash from uh, 40,000 in average on, uh, on, on the TC rates to 20,000 now or 18,000. But um, we're still way above what we had for the past 10 years prior to this uh, uprun. Um, and if you look at the uh, the new building numbers uh, in the yards, uh, all the slots basically for the next two, three years are filled up with container ships. Um, so first, I, I believe that this, this market will uh, most likely get hit harder uh, in one, two years when the, the first new buildings uh, come out and uh, the demand um, has, uh, has decreased. Um, 
and on on the dry side personally obviously i don't have any uh, crystal crystal ball but uh, i i hope that we will we will see a, a higher flow than we had seen uh, for the for the past 10 years prior to 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 this run up um and uh, uh, just another random thought would you have any fear or take on what this would mean for fuel oil and uh what that percentage to freight or in comparison to freight any view on that if there was a recession or the scenario you just spoke of um, i mean fuel oil is always uh, a, a very important factor when it comes to freight um obviously um we we're getting more and more economical ships um the most modern ones and uh, then we have the whole uh, fleets of scrubbers, which is very different from from the normal ones. We have new fuel types, um, but like an increase in fuel prices will uh, definitely impact the freight rates uh, because it's just going to be more expensive to to ship ship the goods um, from A to B. Um, the fuel price in general, how will that be affected by a recession? Uh, I think there's a lot of factors uh, which uh, needs to be taken in consideration. A lot of it is uh, politically driven. Um, you have the OPEC. I mean, if the OPEC goes out and say like, oh, we cut by X million tons, um, obviously the price will, will soar. Uh, it's uh, it's hard to say, but yeah, in general, obviously fuel price is super, super important um, for freight rates. And you were talking about the political factors there. Kim, and one thing, if you read the news, especially from the perspective of sitting in the uh, Pacific, is that um, there are a lot of political, geopolitical events which could spark, which would obviously cause problems for shipping and then a lot of other factors beyond the normal economic question marks and problems that we're facing. And what, I know Singapore as a, as a country is very conscious of being fairly close to China, is there a sense at the moment of uh, a change? We've seen that obviously in Europe with Finland and Sweden making a decision to join NATO. Is there any sort of sense of change in the Singaporean mood of that things are also taking a turn there from the kind of, I guess, a general status quo that we've seen for a couple of decades now? Um, I, I think Singapore, uh, as you said, has always been close to China, but also has been. Um, trying to be uh, close to the U.S. as well and has, uh, is very close to the U.S. Um, they are uh, trying to, I think, play, play, play two hands at the same time. Um, we have seen a lot of impact during COVID. What happened um, was due to the very strict restrictions in Singapore. People left. Um, then we are seeing Singapore in terms of uh, the working permits, it's not easy to, to get uh, um, international um, professionals to Singapore. Um, however, I, I think Singapore has always been um, very strongly connected to China and still is. And I don't see that will the, that will change. Um, they, they need to satisfy one side and the other, and uh, they're very good in, uh, in doing both. And just before you go, we obviously have to put you on the spot completely and uh, say what is your view going to be of next year and obviously what factors should people be really concentrating on in your opinion as we start to come to the end of 2022 and look towards a new year in 2023? 
Yeah, I think one of the, the big moving factors um, for the next, well, for the end of this year, beginning of next year, it's always hard to say, <laughs> look, look like a couple of years from, but right now, um, most people expect the market to be flat-ish. Um, there's no big drivers. We have the U.S. grain season, uh, which kicks in or has kicked in. However, uh, this will just be a big support for freight rates, um, I think and uh, stabilize it. Uh, we are still waiting for India uh, on the iron ore, which was a big driver. Uh, the exports um, due to uh, the uh, uh, the implementation of heavy tax, uh, export tax on those. Uh, it has been very little going out of India. Um, if it has gone down um, already a little bit, but uh, if, if, if those things change, um, the, the market will get up some momentum again. And um, it, it might might get interesting. However, I don't see that uh, happening this year. Um, eventually, Q, Q1 next year uh, could could be the time. Um, in general, our feeling out here is uh, from industry professionals that there's not not a big tide, uh, not not a big appetite uh, for for period ships. Um, meaning, uh, if if the operators and the charters out here they uh, they're just sitting. Uh, on, on their hands, they are executing the book, um, whatever they have on the cargo side, on the tonnage side. Um, most people made some decent money, uh, like last year. Uh, I think uh, everyone is uh, everyone is happy where they are right now. They don't know, don't want to risk uh, the book for for the end of the year. Um, what next year brings? Very good question. Uh, as I mentioned before, I think the big thing is that there's not a lot of new ships coming to the market. Um, that means uh, if we, however, see uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine, the war ending somehow, um, if we see China uh, going big again um, on, uh, on growth, um, if this recession uh, somehow gets under control, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of things can happen, too many, too many moving breaks. That's it for this week. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the freight and commodity space, then sign up to our app, FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you'd like to give any feedback or suggestions, email us at news at freightinvestor.com. Have a great end to your week and join us on the next podcast in a couple of weeks.